Welcome to Vassals of King's Rave. We are we will review and spoil the hugely popular Netflix show Bridgerton. So my name is Glenn Dago Shrivers from the podcast Face and Fireforms. I am very happy to be joined by Hi, it's been a 007 and I'm really happy to be with the OG, the OGest of the OG curators, Glenn. It's a great moment. Um, hi, it's uh, Mary on Nymeria um, on the Discord and the Internet. Uh, happy to be here as well. It's been a while. <laughs> now, the show has been compared to quite a few, um, I guess, Downton Abbey comes up quite a lot, um, quite a lot of upstairs downstairs type dramas but the main one that comes up is Gossip Girl. Now were we fans of Gossip Girl? Obsessively at the time to my great shame. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually never finished it and I don't really know why maybe because I knew from the get-go who Gossip Girl was so I just I was into it but but I, I didn't finished because there was nothing to discover at the end of the series um but I liked it definitely so yes this is very much like that but in a weird and different way similar to you Mary I, I did watch the first two seasons you know obsessively watched it um knew exactly when it would come on and was watching it like maybe the next day um but then it just stopped after season two I think Season two had a really bad ending and just never came back for the, the third season. Um, and then, you know, after watching this, um, thinking back, oh, Gossip Girl, I wonder if they ever revealed who it was. So did some searching and seen who it was and noticed that it came up in a lot of articles of like worst, en worst endings to TV shows. Yeah, I'm not yeah. surprised. Like... Um, yes, I think I, I, I knew it was uh, really before the first episode uh, even. Uh, I just I just read it, but uh, I'm I've almost watched the entire show. Actually, I, I I must be missing like fifteen episodes, but I just I started watching something else, and and then yeah, a classic. Um, but um, anyway, Do I was actually yes, oh. Lena. Do you think this is what it's going to be like for people watching Game of Thrones now? Like people who were younger and didn't watch it at the time that it was showing? Like, yeah, but I already know about the Red Wedding. I didn't know who sits on the throne at the end. So I kind of watched a few seasons and blah, you know. I still don't know who sits on the throne. Uh, well, in the articles that I've read, like quite a few of them, um, you know, Gossip Girl came up, but also Game of Thrones came up. Really? No, it's nothing like that. To me, this is just Jay Jane Austen crossed with Gossip Girl. That's exactly how I would describe it to someone. It's how it was described to me and it's why I knew I was going to love it. Yeah, same. same. I don't, it doesn't make me think so much of Downton Abbey. I mean, it's like, it's not even the right period, right? It's like a century before. Um, but um, like, except for the kind of historical drama, um, it, it's not really the same. Um, and uh, agree. yeah it's just very silly uh <laughs> but you know, very compelling very conservatively told like even if they have characters who are progressive like the daughter who marries the chauffeur it's very in its style its language the way it's filmed the costumes it's very conservative yes very exactly 
is also lovely. I mean, I love Downton Abbey, but this to me reminded me more of, um, you know, we were discussing it on the chat, like Sophia Coppola's Marie Antoinette, or if anyone's watching Dickinson on Apple TV Plus, these shows that attempt to combine historical drama with really modern music and really modern um, or very kind of heightened costumes, like really like candy colored costumes and just language that's a bit more playful. And of course, you know, the really progressive use of people of color and, and gay issues and, and Bridgerton. So to me, it's like the opposite of Downton, which is so conservative and classic. And this is trying to be so much more fun and modern. And yeah, I really love it for that. Plus a big drawing um, power for me was that Shonda Rhimes was involved with it. So how how to get away with murder that's one of well it, that's another one I've not actually finished watching but at the time it was one of my favorite shows I think um I got up to about season four of that and then stopped watching but it's something I really need to go back to did she do scandal with um Kerry Washington yep absolutely um yeah. so that's one scandal and uh Grey's Anatomy. That's it. <laughs> I was hugely into Scandal, and that was very trashy and over the top. But again, it was really interesting because it had um, like interracial um, love affairs and stuff, which I gather was quite controversial in America, maybe or unusual. Um, but to me, it wasn't so much the Shonda Rhimes name. I'm not like a big Grey's Anatomy fan. It was more the concept, so the Jane Austen Gossip Girl concept for me. I think for me, both played a role because I'm definitely a Shonda Rhimes uh, fan. Like, Grey's Anatomy is my most, um, is the, sh the show that I don't entirely, um, uh, like, I love it uh, unconditionally. <laughs> it's my, my secret, uh, not so <laughs> secret, uh, <laughs> like, guilt of pleasure. Um, and I've also watched Scandal and um, and How to Get Away with Murder and Private Practice. And I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so definitely, and it it has a bit of of that. I guess the way the way the the show um, Bridgerton is is so free with uh, the um, questions of. Um, a racially mixed cast and um, having gay characters and just not not making anything of it um, is very Shonda Rhimey, uh, I think. That's also something she does, um, and that yeah, that's uh, that I like very much. Like Yubina, I think it's a. At first, it was a bit a bit weird because I love I love period drama. I love feeling historical and this took something uh, out of it but um, but once you're settled in that new parallel universe where race basically isn't an issue or not as much as an issue um, it, it's it's all good what I found interesting in this one though is you know there are many especially BBC dramas now that are colorblind and they don't explain the fact that the, some of the characters are black or Indians. They just do it, which is great. But it was interesting to me that in Bridgerton, at one point, Lady Danbury has a conversation with the Duke and says, you know, we've only just relatively recently achieved this status because the king fell in love with the queen. So they, uh, actually, 
they actually do address why black people are now aristocrats or why black people are so visible in society, which I thought was interesting. Um, I'm not sure it was necessary because they didn't really take it much further and talk about the precarious position, really. But I thought it was interesting they felt they had to do that. And I wonder if that was more catered towards maybe American audiences or global audiences who aren't as used to seeing it. Because I think for those of us on a diet of British TV, it's becoming wonderfully, increasingly common to see those sort of just very um, colorblind casts and you don't really refer to it, it just, it is. I think it wasn't, it wasn't necessary, but like something I, I said to myself at the, at the beginning of the show, and I discussed that with a friend as well, um, and, I I I'm I thought well okay that's a bit weird uh but let's let's just imagine this is like yeah a parallel universe where somehow it evolves differently than than in ours um and their little explanation is actually just that it's just well in this uh almost like ours uh almost like our universe well uh, it's different, and um, and the king uh, fell in love with a, a black woman, and that's how it happened. And I, I thought it was, it, it it wasn't a big deal to justify it. It didn't take anything away, and it helped feel um, like this. <laughs> I'm not gonna say like this was authentic because it's definitely not, but uh, just a little bit more like like you're in a real world uh, in a very silly way. And this is quite yeah. a, a British connection, but um, a lot of a lot of people both in, you know, in the newspapers and also on Facebook made, you know, it was highlighted that Daphne was played by an actress that's the daughter of um, a very popular soap character, Sally Webster from Coronation Street. So I think that helped in the UK. Well, it, not that it needed to help anyway, but um, I, I did see quite a lot of um, newspaper articles about that, that the relation between the two. I actually did know that. So kind of like the a new interpretation on the soap. That's kind of cool. With Lady Whistledown. Um, so were, were either of you surprised that we found out so well at the end of the series who it was? Definitely, um, definitely, yeah, and I kind of like it because I really didn't want uh, it to be like Gossip Girl, where where you feel like the story is continuing, and um, but you still you still got this big thing that's going to be the big reveal at the end. Um, this way, Lady Whistledown is 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 a part of the story, but it's not the only thing uh, keeping it together. And I'm very interested to see what they're going to do in season two uh, now that that's out. But the characters don't know. We know it. So I don't know. I don't know if, how it's going to feel because I always I don't often like when uh, we as spectators know something so important and no one else does. But we'll see. Maybe this time it will be uh, funnier than in other occasions. And I guess knowing that that it was Penn all along and that betrayal of Marina, did that make the character unlikable for you? Uh, for me, yes, definitely. Although I can yeah. see why. 
mean, it was a good intention, but it just felt the the method of splitting them up was so publicly shaming to Marina that it felt a bit mean. Yeah, it felt it, it was definitely mean, but it felt also very human. Like I, I can definitely see that happening just and it feels like she she regrets it, right? She tries to to do something to <laughs> um to correct it somehow but um but it's like in an impulse uh because she's too much in love and too much hurt um so it it made her unlikable but also very yeah <laughs> uh, relatable as well should we say hi to matt who i think uh, has joined us oh hi matt but he hasn't talked Bye. <laughs> Hello. Hey. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? Good. Putting out fires at work, so I'm trying to jump on for a little bit at least. Oh, no problem. So the, the main thing that you've missed so far is just the chat about Gossip Girl. Were, were you ever a fan of that? I've never watched an episode of Gossip Girl in my life. <laughs> um, I did enjoy Bridgerton, but... I don't know how much of that is uh, the actual writing or just give me a period piece and I'll watch the hell out of it. I do wonder how much of Bridgerton's popularity is. It's a pandemic. I need something really fluffy where everyone looks gorgeous, wears gorgeous clothes, and the good people end up together in the end and have a bunch of sex. Like, it's so comfort television, right? Apparently, the staff members at the country house where they filmed it, uh, all the sex scenes there, uh, had to keep on monitoring the actors to make sure they didn't break any of the furniture. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, the, it was pretty sweet that uh, the main Bridgerton girl got to lose her virginity, you know, to a duke in front of a fireplace in a <laughs> grand mansion. Someone who lost his virginity in an Orlando hotel bathroom, I can relate. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm, I agree. It was very sweet and very fluffy and nice to nice to watch, basically, and, and just agreeable. Uh, <laughs> I imagine other people fought it too, but um, you know how... The Duke, Simon, he kept saying, oh, I can't give you children, I can't give you children. And then he's standing in front of her naked. Did anyone else think that he didn't have a penis? No. <laughs> I don't, I didn't understand what the hell was going on. They have like American style sex ed back then. Like, she didn't know how to get pregnant. She didn't, like, she didn't know how that worked. Yeah, that's scary. No. Realistic, you know, she literally has to go and get a maid to tell her how it works. <laughs> but, but even back then, there wasn't like, like gossip, there wasn't like a wedding night, like talk with your mother or something. Like, I, I think they I kind think, of they I, kind of put I, it on her mother specifically that she should have had this talk with her and she didn't quite. Um, but maybe in other families, this wouldn't be the case. I think it was very common. I think probably Sarah, Dr. Blood, could tell us, though, but from what I've read of social history, these very, very sheltered Aristo women of Jane Austen were incredibly sheltered. And as a result, the wedding night was often quite a shock. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, what were your thoughts on um, the fact that 
the the reveal of Lady Whistledown. So, well, at the end of series one. Um, <clears throat> I liked it. I don't know, understand like how she didn't try to twist her power more to keep that dude that she liked. Uh, it seemed like Lady Whistleton had like, you know, drew the ire of the queen. Like, you know, she had power that she could have used, but I don't know. I, I, I like, I like that it was her, but I don't understand exactly. I guess I just don't understand <laughs> how she kept the, those two people compartmentalized. I just think Penelope isn't that mean. Like, she's not that manipulative. Like, the amount of power and influence she has with Lady Whistledown and the ear of the Queen, she could do. She could use it for a lot worse than just splitting up Bridgerton number three with fiancé, right? And was it... Who was the middle daughter that I thought was... Uh, what's her name? Where Eloise. Who was that? Eloise. Yeah, her, the kind of tomboyish, like, badass girl. Yeah, she's awesome. Hi, Hannah. Hey. hey. How's it going? Well, we'll we are talking silliness and Gossip Girl, and um, and we haven't quite talked about how hot uh, hot the Duke is yet. Uh, although I'm I'm personally more partial to the Bridgerton brothers, but uh, like Colin. <laughs> there's now a I like the media to get Duke's him to friend, that boxer guy. He's my jam. <laughs> So I, I'm probably an idiot. Just missed it. How did the boxer guy and the Duke know each other? I think from the Duke's rakish past of traveling and gambling and you know oh. living the high life. It's interesting because none of that is in the novel at all. So the Duke just exists, perfectly formed and loaded and ready to fall in love. Like he doesn't have kind of friendship groups outside of the circle. And because the, the boxing guy doesn't exist, you also don't get the whole plot with um, Penelope's dad basically losing all the family's money and gambling and getting arrested at the end of the season. So Wait a minute, he was that. arrested? I thought he was killed. Oh, yeah, sorry, killed by the, <laughs> by the um, yeah, the mafiosi, I guess. So none of that happens at all in the book. The book is literally just the romance between Simon and, and you know, the girl. That that's it. There's nothing else, which is a bit disappointing, for sure. One one of the things that I was wondering, you know, it, between episodes one and two, it was Anthony, you know. So Daphne makes this great debut. The Queen praises her, and that gets a lot of attention. And then it's Anthony that's, you know, shooing away suitors. What? Why? Why was that? Well, because he had her lined up for that old rich guy, right? He'd already figured out who he wanted her to marry. Wasn't that the reason? Ah, oh, right. I, I I thought it was something to do with that, you know, he had his, his own lover, but that was in secret. So I thought it was something to do with that, that he didn't want his sister to marry someone that she really liked. Oh, no, I think he genuinely is acting in what he thinks is her best interest. I don't think it's out of jealousy or exposing his own position. 
I think, I mean, I think from the TV show, we're meant to think he just takes his position as head of the family, like, way too seriously and is very draconian about it. But he genuinely feels like he doesn't want her to marry Simon. He genuinely doesn't think Simon's a good, you know, he's a friend, but he knows his past. And I think he's lined up a rich old landowner and thinks that'll do very, very well for his sister. Oh, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. I could be wrong, but that, that was how I took it. The other thing that isn't in the novel is the whole plot with um, one of the brothers going off to that painting salon and realising that there is a sort of a gay subculture in London and that one of the very popular guys he's married is actually secretly gay. And that quite moving speech about how he doesn't, don't judge me because this is the only choice I have, um, which I thought was really cool. At one oh point I thought that... I thought he was going to turn out to be gay, and he wasn't. Or maybe he will in further series. But... I thought he was realizing he couldn't actually make art, so he shouldn't judge other people. I didn't know everyone was gay in that artist's colony. <sighs> such a fucking idiot. <laughs> I did think so, too. But, you know, that as soon as he met that guy and he takes him into his place, I was thinking, oh, here we go, gay storyline, which is good. But um, I, keep, I was sort of, you know, thinking, oh, Here's this is what what will happen, but then quite surprised when that never happened, and then he was getting the brother Benedict was getting together with um, the dressmaker. Yeah, I think mm. I think it's it's more powerful this way. I mean, I would would have been okay if if he had turned out uh, he had like realized that that he's gay, but um, like. Not all artists uh, have to be tortured and 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 gay, right? Like you can you can also like <laughs> have creative uh, <laughs> a creative drive <laughs> and be straight and and the other way around. I mean, so um, I think it was better to have this acceptation of that guy um, who's living the only way he he knows how to, and. Um, and 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 the Bridgerton uh, brother who was like, okay, okay, not not my not my thing, but fine, <laughs> and that 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 was uh, refreshing. I was gonna say I agree, Marie. I think it is more powerful this way. I I enjoy the fact that I mean, not that like like you said, I wouldn't mind if he was also gay and that was what I was expecting. So I like that they subverted that expectation and just had him play a supportive role. And potentially, uh, I, I viewed it as everyone there being polyamorous, at least, and perhaps open sexually. Which I also liked. Yeah, I mean, actually, what what in a way for a show that's so um, progressive, what was interesting is that not one but two of the Bridgerton boys are having affairs with um, working class women, which in a way plays very much into a cliche, right, of the opera singer as kind of loose. I mean, that's very much something that's in the sort of 18th and 19th century trope that, you know, the work, it's it's okay for the Aristo guy to kind of stow his seeds with working class girls but then both of them turn out to be really strong businesswomen and quite feisty especially the the dressmaker with the fake french accent i thought that was hilarious it it was driving me nuts uh who played the 
singer Sienna, and it was the girl who played on Game of Thrones that Arya played that killed all the Freys. Yeah, uh, spoilers for the show because Marie hasn't watched it. Marie hasn't. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'd be fine just knowing that she 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 she's in Game of Thrones. All right. <laughs> she hasn't sprung it though. Like it was bugging me where I'd seen her before. Um, they were both really interesting characters though. Although I felt the kind of I like the dressmaker character. I felt the the opera singer who's really kind of a little bit looking for being a kept woman was a was a bit of a cliche. And really, he's in love with her, really. But no, he's not. Yeah. You know, I like how they took um, that liberty and painted that beautiful picture. And not only that, but all the show's color palette is so vibrant, so intense, mm-hmm. that it yeah, just, it all fits. And I, I just love that they did not feel a need to explain it away. It was just, this is happening, and we're not going to apologize. And I like how they gave a little explanation. It was addressed eventually, but I could have gone either way where they, I don't think they needed it at all. It's interesting to me that Netflix, their two arguably highest paid or richest showrunner deals are with Shonda Rhimes and Ryan Murphy, right? These are the big kind of mega, mega millions deals. And both of them, in a sense, produce content that retcons history and just makes it what it should have been um so but when ryan murphy did it in his latest series on hollywood where he kind of like had a an alt history of sort of like 1930s 1940s hollywood and he ends it like the arc ends with a very powerful female um sort of movie um studio boss which wouldn't have happened and you know a gay actor who's coming out and you know like he got a lot of stick for that. That wasn't a very popular season. People thought that was ridiculous. Whereas here, well, I loved that. I loved it too. <laughs> it was amazing, but it wasn't like it got a lot of stick. And again, you know, in his movies, sorry, in his shows, very heightened costumes, heightened color palette, particularly in the the Nurse Ratched one, the latest one. And yet, Shonda Rhimes is doing the same thing here. She's kind of retconning it, as Hannah put it, to give us the world as it should have been. And yet, it's here it's so beloved and so welcomed i mean i don't think i've seen anyone who doesn't like what she did here um but it's kind of nice that netflix is, is you know really it's funding it right i mean that's a lot of money to throw it to people who have a particular agenda which is kind of cool but shonda rhimes is like has like huge shows under her belt and apparently like she just like happened upon this book because she ran out of books and that's how like <laughs> she got into Bridgerton. Oh my god, can you imagine the author suddenly, I mean probably already hugely best selling, but suddenly the amount of readers she's going to get. Like a lot of the girls I know are now reading Bridgerton and you know, not least because I gave one of them the book and then she sent it to another one. But like it just feels like a lot of people are reading the books now. Maybe in the way like when Game of Thrones took off. Um, how involved do you guys know how involved does she actually get in the decisions in the show or is she just more because I mean like her and Ryan Murphy they have so many shows on the go at the same time like how far is it devolved to the the showrunner or do they really would she be the one who says the queen's going to be black and Simon's going to be black like where does that decision happen I bet th- there was some decision high up that they'd they'd have a diversified casting and you know the best actor for each role. I don't I don't, I don't know if they actually would say, well, the queen has to be black. It's like mm-hmm. I think maybe certain main characters and you know 
some people in power should be, you know, diversified. But yeah, so it says, um, the way I understand it, Shonda ran out of books to read on vacation and somehow stumbled onto mine, Quinn said during an interview. It's crazy to think that my life is forever changed because Shonda didn't bring enough reading material on vacation. But that's honestly what happened. And I noticed that with the books, they are re-releasing them. So, like, if you... So um, if you do look at Amazon, for example, they've got the second book, but they've got a release date of next month. But then it's just that new version of, well, just like the new printing of it. Whereas, you know, you can probably probably find about 10 of the books because they were written about 20 years ago. What I find really weird is publishers not seeming to be that in sync with Netflix. So, like, my husband and I really enjoyed Pretend It's a City, which is just you know, Fran Lebovitz talking to Martin Scorsese and just being hilarious. And the first thing you think is, let me just go buy lots of books written by Fran Lebovitz, and none of them are available on Amazon. And I couldn't a publisher somewhere have thought this was going to be a big hit and, like, reissue some of her books? But no. Anyway, that's the side crack. <laughs> About, like, the difference and how, how there's more in the, in the show than in the book, I think maybe... At least that's the case for me. Um, I'm much more um, tolerant to silliness and fluffiness and, and something just just fun to watch. I would just say it's written in a very... The style is fine. It's just very workmanlike. Gets okay. across. It's just... Like just reading a classic romance novel. Like it's not particularly well written. It's not horribly badly written. It's just... It was just thin to me. It's just handsome Duke, like pretty girl, meet, have amazing sex. They <laughs> kind of have like fallouts over really trivial, stupid misunderstandings. And then they come back together. And I suppose the only thing that was interesting, I was curious to see, like I watched the whole scene where she has sex with him and wants to get pregnant. So holds him. And I didn't think that was particularly controversial. Then on social media, people were saying it's actually male rape. Um, that scene is in the book, though. It's done kind of in the same way. So interesting. Yeah, uh, that, that's honestly, um, I, when I was watching that, I was thinking about you and I may destroy you. And, I, you know, the position of that show is that any sex under any false pretense is rape. And I was thinking, ooh, that's going to be hmm, maybe a problem. I thought that too. Um, I thought it was an issue. I'm not sure I would call it rape, but that I, I would definitely thought that it was a huge uh, break of his trust uh, and, and violation of his trust, um, which is um, like close to a rape. Uh, but the, I mean, I'm yeah, it really survives that, honestly. I mean, that's pretty. I don't know. I just feel that would be pretty fundamental. Mind you, he's lied to her about the fact that he actually can father children, so maybe no, but do yeah. wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> really. <laughs> no, no. It is a dereliction of duty, though. I mean, I think legally she would have grounds to sue him at the time. Which is an issue in itself, right? <laughs> but, um... oh, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the fact that she only has value if she's producing an heir, that's the biggest issue. The yeah. fact that any woman would feel like she had to go to those lengths, that's a fucking issue more than anything else, you know? Mm. Like, if, if something like that were to happen nowadays, 
I think that we would have a very different tune toward her because it's not, you know, necessary. It's not the only way for you to have a livelihood or a net worth in society now. But back then, just the sheer amount of pressure on a person like that, even you know, regardless of what private arrangement they have, you know, what if he were to die, she would be no good to anyone. You know, she'd remarry, I would imagine. But I was, if if you want to get more pandemic, uh, total, um, like mindless reality TV on Netflix. I would highly recommend a series called Bling Empire, which is about like super rich Asian people in LA. And so this is contemporary. And one of the people on that, she's a woman married to a doctor. They're hugely wealthy. And she talks about being shunned by his parents because she couldn't conceive for 10 years because it's so important in that culture that they have a son to kind of inherit everything. And that they, she would go to weddings mm. Chinese family they would sit her at the kiddie table and she would be made to do the washing up at like really shunned you know um so I think it it probably still these issues still persist but thankfully not necessarily in yeah I wasn't thinking about cultures where that's important that's true in in LA this this is like western culture I would say it's not as big of of a deal yeah but I get her desperation. But the weird thing is, is it, I don't, I get that she wants to have a big family, but there is something kind of like a bit subversive about kind of trying to force him to be a dad. What if he really didn't want to be a dad? What if he had no paternal instinct? And what if he hated the kid? I mean, there's this really kind of like happy scene at the end when he has a little baby and he's obviously really happy with it, but that could have worked out so badly. That's true. And, <laughs> she just doesn't think that's possible like it, it doesn't really register in in her view of the world that people would not want kids and kids and that it's it's a choice you know because it, it is definitely in in our view of the world now but even that uh, is not as clear cut uh, as it could be and i think for her it's just it it doesn't it doesn't feel that way but i also th- i also think that this specific scene um, is not speci- it's not only about uh, conceiving, it's about um, making sure she's right. Like she has suspicions, but she wants to understand uh, what's really happening. So she confronts him on it uh, in this way, which is terrible and a and a, and a big issue. Um, but I think that there are both sides of it. It's not entirely. It is a manipulation, but it's not. I don't care what you want. I want. I want a kid, and that's how I'm, I'm gonna do it. Uh, it's it's a bit more uh, intricate. It goes back to the education, the, the sex education at the time. But what he's Thank doing you. is the pull-out method, famously not the most effective method yeah. of birth control. <laughs> yeah, I have many working. cousins in this world because of that. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if I they mean, would go perhaps down. he's also using the rhythm method and counting for her, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, also not that reliable. No. <laughs> I think I think it is horrible, but I think it's very, very, very common. And actually, you know, I'm sure that there are men who didn't know what the hell they were up to either. Um, oh my god! I mean, I can only imagine what I was like as a younger man, probably like all thumbs, 
I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. I mean, there's a, there's a fantastic novella by Ian McEwan, um, arguably Booker Prize winning, called On Chesil Beach, set in 1950s England. And it's exactly that, a young couple who absolutely love each other, really earnest, on their honeymoon night on Chesil Beach, and neither of them has any experience or any clue. And, it, you know, it's really frightening and they don't consummate the marriage and it's over. It's just over. And, you know, I'm sure I'm sure there's more trauma around this than we think there is. Maybe not now, but like in recent history. There's a really funny movie called like uh, The Good Boys or something. And it's all about like these like sixth graders. And it's all the innocence of like they're trying to be like acting like adults and knowing what they're talking about, like about sex. And it's just like hilariously wrong. Myself and my group of friends growing up, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, like all we had was like magazines or whatever. And people, we're like, yeah. like, it was hard for us kids who grew up free internet. I mean, some of it was great. We didn't have a lot of social media pressure in many ways. We could just be more innocent, but it was hard to get knowledge if knowledge was not at hand. <laughs> So there were, there were positives and negatives. Um, I just want to point say something reinforcing what Mary said about um, Daphne, like it's not entirely selfish. And I think that what's quite nice about Bridgerton is at various points, Eloise and Daphne have really good speeches or bits of dialogue that they give where they're talking about how constrained they feel as women that wouldn't it be nice if Eloise could just go to university and get a get a career and where Daphne says, you know, I wish I could do more with my life, but basically I have to marry well. And therefore I'm going to, you know, someone's going to marry me off to someone I don't like. So I'm going to take charge of the situation and actually try and make the best of it. Um, so I kind of admire her in that respect. Like she's very, for a, for a pretty heroine who could be quite passive, she's actually not. She's actually very active in her own fate and trying to get knowledge. And if her mum hasn't given it to her, She'll try and find a maid or someone else. You know, she's going to she's gonna try and improve things, which I kind of respect. Like her brother says, have you ever visited a farm? You know, if I was the mother, I would take <laughs> her to a farm and be like, now watch carefully, dear. <laughs> and wait for her to put two and two together. Yeah. You well... know, even if you don't want to say it and you want to be subtle, you still don't have to be vague as fuck. Like, I mean, clear as mine. Your only job as an aristocratic mum or a sort of rich mum in that period is to prepare your daughters for marriage, right? Yeah, go ahead, Hannah. People can get hurt if you're not doing it right. Like, <laughs> you gotta call it yeah. on. Uh, like, like, when all the girls are wondering uh, what Marina has and, and how she, she got it and, like, how did she came to to be in that uh, situation and they just don't know and they're like maybe if if you just talk to a boy and ca it can happen and just just for that you might want to to be a bit clearer about uh about what they should be avoiding because <laughs> it's um it's it's very uh vague this way yeah it's like blue lagoon you know <laughs> they just They don't know what's going on. They figure it out eventually, but they literally did not have a choice. Those two kids, there was nobody there to tell them. Like mm -hmm. you I, have your mom and all these other people around you. And they're like, I, I just, more knowledge never hurt anyone. I don't know why 
you would want your children, especially your girl children, to be ignorant because now they don't know whether they're being debased or abused in their marriages either. If they just think, oh, that's normal. Oh, I think they just assume this is how it goes. I mean, you you watch the film with Kira Knightley about um, the Duchess of Devonshire, where she's basically married off to Ray Fiennes, and he just, you know, basically rapes her on their wedding night. But she has no prior knowledge. She literally has no idea what's going on. I think this was. I'd love someone to be on this podcast, like Sarah, Doctor Blood, or someone who knows about this stuff. But I reckon it was very common. I kind of wanted to say more about about uh, that scene and and the R word and and because mm-hmm. I think I think it is a big deal and we need to be careful about it. But in in this instance, um, I also think that it shows that um, particular cases and society issues uh, are linked, but but are not the same. So what I mean by that is. Um, that a rape or a break of trust or um, that kind of thing is is never um, like you should you should you should not justify it or um, um, say it's okay in any way. And what what Daphne does here is not okay. I, I felt very much like that. But um, the way it, res- it it's resolved it is also important, and I think that's true in real life as well. Like there are some cases of um, um, awkwardness or or stuff like that you didn't want to happen, and I'm not talking about rape because rape is 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 a thing. But um, anyway, what I mean is uh, they talked about it and they they resolved it, and therefore um, it's not as big an, of an issue as if if nothing more had been said on a on a matter. I think. Um, and I think in, in this show, it's fine because everything else around it um, goes in the right direction of showing that these women are very constrained, have a hard, um, they live in a hard society uh, for women. And and yeah, it's to me, this was fine. And it, it, it's not, it, it is a controversial controversial scene but it's not uh, a badly done scene I think I would compare it to stealthing so for those that don't know that's where you know the person wearing wearing the condom suddenly slips off and doesn't tell the other person and then continues then what is that (laughs) and then the other person is unbeknownst that they're having unprotected sex Um, so I would compare it uh, in a similar way to that, that just a massive, dis, you know, betrayal of trust between the two people, and um, you could see that Simon was really betrayed by that. He was talking about, oh, if you're not pregnant, we'll just go our own way, separate. You can still, we'll still be married, but only in name. Mm-hmm. I think though. What like the difference with condom removal is you you absolutely know what you're doing and you are violating a so Adam or I'm sorry Matt what condom removal is is when you put the condom on you've agreed to engage in well condom sex. condom removal I, I basically speaks yeah. for itself whatever Glenn said stealthy <laughs> so 
you have you have engaged in that agreement prior to and midway sneakily it's removed without the other person's knowledge is very different i think than what daphne does here because one could argue she doesn't even truly understand what she's doing it's it is very much an experiment and she might not really connect how much of a violation that is and not that that's excusing the behavior um it is obviously manipulative and she she goes into it knowing at least something about the manipulation or she wouldn't have done it secretly but she might not understand uh quite the um amount of it and i don't think that her intention was to assault him or physically hurt him and so i i do think that her intention has a lot of weight in the case like if we were if we were pursuing this legally i would i would say the motive would the, i mean you argue that against the guy and the guy said well that wasn't my intent like no no one's gonna buy that but well I mean, again though that's you're talking about sex that's been engaged in under these agreements and then they've been violated this this was not a verbal or written contract that they made not to do this this was her having a lack of information completely and testing a theory on how it might work full question she and she in should have probably just asked but i don't again i don't think she knows enough about sex to understand that that's a violation and question. an assault of type and in that period, there's no such thing as marital rape. Like, oh, like a woman's a property man, so he can have sex with her whenever he wants. Does it work the same the other way around? Well, <laughs> I, the, the argument the other way around is that the man's body consents, I think. Something weird like that. Like, There probably is some fucked up Victorian or Elizabeth-like rule about it, right? Like the fact that he has a stiffy means he's consented or something. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's how it's looked at in the world as well. You know, even women can still become lubricated and have sexual response. It's a lot less common, but that does not mean they're consenting. And unfortunately, I do think that is still a problem in our our society and our legal system to this day. Oh, that we're still arguing what legitimate rape is and how a woman's <laughs> body can just shut it down. Yeah. And, and Bina, well, I think yeah, she's rape just... not able to achieve an erection if you don't want it. I think that's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. I think uh, marital rape in the United States only got like made illegal like 20 years ago. It's real recent. <laughs> I'm not sure it's illegal in India yet. I mean, but he knows. Um, okay, so I feel like we've had a very heavy conversation about a not so heavy show and I feel a bit, a bit guilty about that although I think it's, it's important um, so I think we should end on a, 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 a less heavy note uh, in our conversation um, and I'm saying that because I'm, I'm going to go in about 10 minutes as well um, oh, What about if we, we just talk about season 2, what do we think predictions Um I would really like to see Marina's gentleman caller come back. I I think she deserves that. I'd like to see. Oh, but he's supposed live to be with dead. him. I know. Um, all right. I'd like to see that mistake, you know. I think he his his uh, boyfriend. Uh, her yeah he, uh, he died. Her boyfriend. 
Um, yeah, I'd like to see that be some sort of mistake and he comes back, ooh. I think. She oh. deserves that. I don't know. I just, I always, I like stuff to work out. I am a romantic. So. <laughs> yeah. It's not over until I see that his body, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's how I am. I, I very stubbornly give up until there's I'm no... I'm sure you have seen that before. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, yeah, we... You know. <laughs> I'm kind I mean, of interested it's not like to see like DNA or photo ID, right? Like mistakes yeah, no. have known to be made. So, um, <laughs> I'd like to see her work out. She fantastic actress, one of my favorites in the show. The Queen was probably my absolute favorite character in the entire thing. Really, I found her really weird. Like, I loved her. Just she like, just class. too much. Yeah. Well, like yeah. Um, I found that weird. I'd I'd like for season two to show us more. Um, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see how uh, Eloise uh, gets on with uh, being in society and how she's going to rebel against that. Um, and and what's it gonna what's it gonna be? Um, and I'm I'm really is maybe gay. Well, I don't know. I don't know, and I'm not sure it's. Um, well, it's it's uh, it's complicated again because, like, I don't really want her to be gay. Um, I don't. I mean, I do and I don't. I I don't because I don't want it to be like, oh, of course the you know the least feminine one is that's exactly. the gay one. Exactly. Exactly. I I don't really enjoy that stereotype. Um, I hate it when it plays both ways. I I know many lady lady ladies that are gay and married to beautiful women and i know a plenty of gay men who are total man's men and just how ha- i happen to like having sex with men you know like i hate those i i'm yeah, not saying they obviously come from a reason there's i i probably know 10 to 1 uh, very you know, queen queens to masculine gay men, but it, it you don't have to be in these boxes. And um, I think you can be, a, a, you know, a feminist and a, a bright mind and a tomboy without being gay necessarily. Yeah. Although I do think it would be an interesting dynamic to see play out in if she were to be coming out or potentially another. Um, debutante in her season maybe her dealing with that and helping yeah, them that'd be, that'd be similar to what's going on with the brother and his artistic friends uh yeah. that could be an interesting dynamic to explore um but yeah i, I don't think, think she's um eloise will find out that pen is um lady uh, lady whistledown and then that will be a quite a rift between the two friends yeah she will find out at some point yeah it's uh, it, it's important that she does um, well for my, for my personal um, enjoyment I'd like to see a lot of the British brothers <laughs> and uh, and I, I will be content uh, <laughs> if we get to see them um, <laughs> I'd like to see Colin have a bigger storyline as well uh, what a gem I like that he refused Marina you know your honour my honour but your honour like yeah, that's not 
that's probably the least realistic thing about the damn show, but I loved it. <laughs> you know, I did think that, that, um, you know, when he makes that speech of, if you had just come to me, told me your predicament, then I would have helped you. But that's easy to see now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it was impossible for her to... Like, yeah, too, it was too much of a risk, like to put everything on that, uh, and trust that he would do the right thing, or what she wanted him to do. Would, I mean, might not be the right thing for him. Yeah, there was. Um, I did write down a few notes here of, you know, some of the themes. Um, one of the the big ones we've sort of talked about it. It's just the whole idea of women within society, and just that great moment um when marina says to daphne who's you know quite a high position now as a duchess and just well you're not a man so why will he pay attention to anything you write oh yes yeah even with all that power there's still no agency you know and it's something that I did find surprising until Marina actually said it. But then when she did, it was like, oh, yeah, of course, that it's it's really her husband has power. She doesn't on her own really have any any power. And I think that goes back to what Lady Danbury says to the young Duke. I I made myself the scariest thing in the room. I made myself a formidable enemy or ally, you know? And so that's sort of Daphne does need to build that up in herself. If she wants that agency, she'll have to demand it from society title or no title riches or not. Can I tell you one thing that I really like though? Yes. Going back to the racial equality factor in the mm -hmm. show. I absolutely also adored <laughs> the fact that there was nobody shitty and still racist. Like, there aren't secret, like, KKK groups meeting in the fringe that we see. It's just not a thing. When Marina's shame is made public, there's not also, and, well, and she's black. It's <laughs> so not a thing. It's not an acceptable form of thought or feeling in that society and brilliant. I j like just obviously it's fiction, but it did not feel like fantasy. I know I was, I was torn about it because I know that when things like that happen, it's still, it's, it just jumps in your mind to think, oh, but it wouldn't have happened that way. But then, uh, and you know, there's people that, We'll talk about how historically inaccurate it is, it is, but at the same time, we're watching something to escape from the realities of life. Right. Now, if she were playing, you know, perhaps if this was a, a biopic about Queen Anne or Queen Victoria, you know, that might be something if it was specifically about genuinely real life characters but i think the only quote unquote real life characters that are are the king and queen and they're uh, the king is a very backseat 
character. Um, and I don't know that we know, you know, a whole lot about his queen at the time anyway. Uh, so it just, it was so not bothersome. I'm, I'm not articulating this well, but <laughs> I think, okay, so like right now they're getting ready to do uh, a biopic about Anne Boleyn. And uh, Anne Boleyn is being played by a black actress. Several of the other characters have been um, made colorful. And the only, like, I don't really have like an issue with it per se. I'm not gonna, I don't wanna, say like oh you can't do that um i would hope that as we do try to create a more inclusive society and we try to build the world that we've not had but want to see we don't set a precedent for future generations to forget how it actually was i just hope that we remain cautious about oh that's a good point you know what i mean like not uh fixing history to the point where we potentially forget and are doomed to repeat it um so you know i would hope that that movie at least includes um maybe you know how typically movies like that end up with you know henry the eighth went on to blah 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 you know <laughs> Uh, perhaps including a, a a real portrait of the person in real life just to again if you think about there might be children in 20 years from now where they don't they don't watch the other bowling girl with um who, who is it scarlett johansson and uh Natalie portman. natalie portman yeah um they don't watch that version and you know Hopefully they are reading a history book and, and are understanding that. But there there could be a, a potential for them to nod. And maybe this is the only uh, version that they are exposed to. So I would just hate to think that uh, in our effort to, to make corrections to our modern society and re-envision a more equal history we just don't uh like i said you know forget it and then put, potentially are doomed to repeat it uh, you know but it's it's not the most major concern and i think good for them i i like i like other roles being opened to other folks i think especially the area of the arts that does that well already is theater it's one of the great things about how alive theater is. You can constantly continue to tell the same stories in new ways and transform them and open them up to a larger variety of actors and actresses. Um, you know, one role that I would like to play is Quasimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And I think that's not an unrealistic idea for me it's it's in my range i can sing it and i don't think quasimodo is a very sexualized character so who cares that's true uh so i do like that we're moving in that direction as a society 
But this being being a fiction about fictional characters and being set the way it is. And again, I love the fact that they do not lamplight it. They don't dwell on it. They don't need to hold the viewer's hand and make it okay. It just is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Sense8 did a lot in that uh, same vein with sexuality and things. Uh, you know, one of the one of the opening scenes in that show is penetrative sex with a transgender character, you know, two women. And it's pretty graphic, but it's also so natural and so beautiful. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> there's just about the way the Wachowskis handled that where it felt so right and not vulgar and not gratuitous whatsoever. Uh I think that that is just really critical right now for us to not only have, but to have the conversation around and enjoy, you know? And I, I I just, yeah, honestly, one of the, the best things about the show, I'll always recommend it to other people. And yeah, I love the way that they, they just presented it did not feel the need to at all explain it away i and i almost feel like if they didn't uh intend to ever it comes so late in the season where lady danbury you know this could be snatched away at us at any time it's only because he happened to fall in love with one of us that we live in this world uh and i i wonder if that was even really the original intention um or if at some point the studio stepped in and said, hey, you know, you should address this. Or uh, they just felt like this, you know, this will be a way to add conflict. Um, and we can kind of explain it away then. But yeah, I, uh, really enjoyable piece. Just um, this this is related. We're still talking about Richardson, but just thinking of the cast and other shows that they've been in. Have you ever watched Dairy Girls? Oh, that Penelope's from that, right? Yes. I have not seen it. I, I, it's on my list. I've been told uh, it's right up my alley. I've been told That's it's fantastic. like the Irish. What is it? It's an Irish show or an English show? Irish. So yeah, I've been told it's like the Irish female version of um, oh fuck, what's it called? Be uh, uh, in betweeners. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I guess yeah. a lot of comparisons to that, and um, I never watched it when it first came on. It was only when I was off sick one day that I thought, "Oh, I'll give that a try." And I had just watched then Betweeners reunion show, and they came on, and um, the host Jimmy Carr was like, um, "You know, if there's ever been a girl version of then Betweeners, this is it." And they had the cast on from Dairy Girls, and then just this. This week, but well, past two weeks, I've rewatched series one and two. I'm gonna have to get on it now. Maybe we should talk about that one. I love the in betweeners. <laughs> it's like the um, the children's version of Peep Show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's in betweeners, and then they grow up to be Peep Show from Dairy Girls, and it's just like the exact. Since um, well, my mum is Irish and. I can just imagine her saying it as well. It's like um, they're doing this 
it's like a Dead Poets Society rip-off type episode. They get this new teacher and she's really cool and they write poems in English. And when um, they submit their essays, the, the poems, and the teacher reads them and say, rips them all up. And then they go back home and Erin's talking to her mum and she's saying, you know, the teacher, she ripped up her poems. And then the mum's like, why is that? And she said, because she said we weren't writing from our soul. And the mum says, well, why were you not writing from your soul? <laughs> Which I can imagine my mum saying and probably has said to me before. Yeah, going going back to Bridgerton, I I, mean, I have to watch that show now. I It's been on my list for a while, so I'm definitely going to. Uh, um, the family that is uh, Featheringtons. Yes. I just, do you feel like, um, wasn't one of those girls, she was like the, I feel like both of the other sisters are, they they came from the West End playing the stepsisters in Cinderella and they were just plucked and put into this. It did feel like the ugly stepsisters, you're right. But they weren't rude. And the one is so sweet with her her poor singing voice and <laughs> her absolute like, lack of self-awareness. But she's so sweet. And I I was just so crushed for her with her little gentleman friend. He was really into her. Can you I, agree. Uh, I was I was really rooting for that to happen, but then not not just once but twice it had to end because no dowry. Yeah, can you imagine like what a piece of shit? <laughs> and I, I mean, okay, PSA. It's time for a view. Okay, PSA. If you or someone you know has problem gambling. Please find your nearest gamblers anonymous meeting and stop it because it really does destroy lives. That you know, part of it is a choice. It's just like draw any other drug. Part of it's it is a, a choice. It's addiction, and like you're it saying, ruins lives. And I'm sure a lot of gamblers have been in that situation where um, Archibald is in. You know, he has that moment. He rigs the fight. He wins, and then he thinks that's solved all my problems. But then it it's does always one more event. It's before always the next one more gamble that is. Yeah, exactly. And the and you got to get it in your head never again, never ever again. And yeah, find find a gamblers anonymous program. And if you are a loved one of a gambler. There is a program called Gamma Non, which is for family and friends of a gambling addict. Uh, it's also a 12-step program for you to take ownership of your part in codependent relationships. So. And one one thing that is sort of different about this show compared to other sh other period dramas is just attitudes of people. So 
when that scene where Eloise is talking to the lady's maid or um, you know, someone that's raised her from very young, but she's now effectively a servant of her, and that servant's not afraid to bite back. Yes. Which is not something that you would find in other period dramas like it. Well, you, you may, but uh, <laughs> I can't really think of many examples. No, no, you wouldn't. And I, I do like the dynamic there of obviously they are, it's very Downton where they are good masters to serve. And uh, she, it, she, that is her space. And um, it is a violation of the contract for Eloise to be in there. So she's not afraid to be candid with her because what is Eloise going to do? Go cry to mama and mama's going to be like, what the fuck were you doing in there in the first place? <laughs> you know, how dare you? She's served us loyally for many years. How dare you? You know, um, I like, I like that portrayal of a family that really likes each other. So they, they do all take dinner together and, uh, and hang out with each other. Um, I, I like to see things where not every family is a piece of shit and people are mean and rude. I, I think that it sure is common, but I don't think that we should normalize it. And it, can be often used as a device, a plot device mm -hmm. to create drama and be a catalyst for overcoming things. I mean, very, you know, I know one could argue, I mean, very Dickens and it's, you know, yes. the times, um, obviously. But I mean, I, I grew up in a family like that where we genuinely liked each other and we loved spending time with each other. And I've built my own family now that's like that. I mean, generally, though, though, only one thing about this whole pandemic and, and being off work for going on a year now, uh, I've gotten to spend unprecedented amounts of time with my husband and it has not gotten old at all. And <laughs> it'll probably be the harder thing to get used to going back to work is not uh, seeing him every day again and stuff. Um, keeping my odd hours again. You know, I, I, I think that we should, look to normalizing that as much as possible and not romanticizing uh familial tension or abuse uh you know it's sort of like outlander um mm -hmm. great concept for a story but one could argue that she throws in a lot of rape for drama mm. and i i have a problem with it i Yes, it might be realistic or, you know, I don't know if maybe she, uh, Diana Gabaldon, has had her own experiences with that and is maybe um, using this, using her stories as a way to process maybe a trauma that happened to her or a loved one. Um, it is all too common, but I just... I get worried when we use things like that for storytelling purposes. Um, very, very go-to, you know, same thing with pregnancies and, 
and things we see that a lot on modern television uh it's it's almost become a part of the modern hero's journey um and i i think we tend to romanticize the the pregnancy or the wedding Mm-hmm. And not the marriage and not the having the child, having the human being you're now responsible for, for life. Um, so I appreciated that they were romanticizing the normal family. And uh, many of them seem to be good, good families with true love. The, the queen seemed to genuinely love the king. Um, despite how hard that is when you're dealing with someone with dementia. Uh, early onset dementia as well but it was really great that you could you could join yeah thank you so much for this it was just what i needed no that's been really great to talk to you too yeah um been really missing you vocathon right oh well um i think i did see that that it was happening um what, what was the date for it so it's the night of, I guess it's the day of the 7th. So it's um, midnight EST on the 7th to midnight EST at the end of the day of the 7th. Oh, I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll try and see if I can join. Yeah, if you can, will you let me know what time you're planning on and I'll make sure I get on then. Oh, yes. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> um, love you so much. Really have been missing you. Let's find another one we can do together. Yep, absolutely. Or no, I was I was kind of hoping you might uh, put some trivia together for the Lockathon as well. So no, no peer pressure, <laughs> but <laughs> I love your trivia. So. <laughs> All right. Well, good night. All right, darling. Good night.